Am I on? You hear me? Okay. Kind of weird. The speakers are kind of in front, so I can't tell if it's on. Okay. Love the Christmas lights and the Christmas tree. Jesus' birthday. Last week, Nate got to talk about baptism. And... Thanks for that, Nate. That was a good sermon. I liked it. Um, today I'm going to be starting in John 8, 31 and 32. We're going to be talking about abiding in the truth. So... I know everybody in here is, we're all in different places. We all receive differently. Um, You know, so however this comes out when I'm talking, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes or be at somebody or anything like that. I'm going to be trying to deliver my messages as gentle as I can, but it is intense inside. So if you feel that, it's not towards you. It's just what it is inside. So just uh, so you know... um, don't think I'm attacking or hopefully it won't feel that way. But <laughs> Okay, so John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So there's, there's three things on this that I want to look at. Abiding. Now, abiding, let me see, let me get there real quick. So abiding is meno, is the Greek word. It's to stay, abide, remain, um, to wait. So it's basically to remain. So if you abide in my word, if you remain and stay in my word, you will know the truth. And that word know, so this is the other one, is knowing. That word know is the same word that Mary used to, when she said, I don't know a man. So it's an intimate knowing. It's not just like a head knowledge. It's, it's, it's to know something, to intimately know something. So if you abide, you remain and stay in my word, you will know the truth. And when you know the truth, part of the thing about how you know truth is you will be set free. It's not that, that it can be or if you do. It, it's once you know the truth, you will be free. So those are kind of the three points that I'm kind of looking at on this one. Um, it's kind of like if you go to a mechanic and he has a car in his, at his house and he can't fix it. Are you going to go to the same, that mechanic and say, hey, fix my car when he can't fix his own car? No, that's not, really, that's not really a good idea. If a mechanic can't fix something, then he doesn't really know the answer. He might have an idea, but if he can't fix it, we don't really know the answer. So the truth is, if you abide in my word, staying and remaining in the word, you will know, it will become known to you. The word will be revealed to you. And then when that revealing happens inside of you, you will be free. Not that you're going to try to be free, you will be free. So that's part of the truth and knowing the truth is, is when you know the truth, you are free. You will be free. 
In Isaiah 26, 10. I don't know if I gave you guys that one. Did I? Yeah? Okay. It's in the Septuagint. For the ungodly one is put down, no one who will not learn righteousness on the earth shall be able to do the truth. Let the ungodly be taken away that he sees not the glory of the Lord. So in order to do the truth, we have to know righteousness. So if we don't understand and know the ways of righteousness, we can't do the truth. So when we're in this word and we're knowing and we're renewing to it, we're learning the ways of righteousness because our ways that we've grown up in are full of selfishness and, and hurts and bitterness and pains and, and, and concerned about how it's going for us, but that's absolutely not what God has came to show us what to do. Jesus was not the example of being about himself and how it was going for him. So there's ways of righteousness, and if we don't understand and know the ways of righteousness, we can't do the truth. Um, when we're trapped in problems and functioning outside of righteousness, it's, it's showing that, that we're living for ourselves. We're not living by righteous ways. And I think that's a lot of what um, is what we're going to be freed from when we understand the truth. So when we understand this truth, we're abiding in his word, that truth is going to be made known to us and it's going to set us free from these things that we naturally have tendencies to have problems in, in this life. Whether it be worry, fear, anxiety, depression, um, arguments, anger. See, this stuff isn't done because through willpower. We're not going to say, Oh, you're just not supposed to do that, so just don't do that. It, that's through a willpower situation. We don't live through willpower. We live through the faith of the Son of God. So in this, when this gets changed and seen something, then we can live to something differently. So in John 14, John 14, 20 through 24, In that day you will know that I am in my that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you're going to manifest yourself to us, not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So, if you recognize that question, he's going, Okay, so Jesus, you're going to reveal yourself to us, but, but how are you going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Because... Jesus' answer is, whoever obeys me, I will reveal myself to. So when we're in this word and we're being doers of the word, he's going to start revealing himself through the obedience of what we're seeing. And in that place, then that word is made known to us. And then we will know, intimately understand and know 
what the Word is saying. He's revealing Himself to us. Luke 14, 15. When one of those reclining with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is everyone who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. But Jesus replied, A certain man came preparing a banquet and invited many guests. When it was time for the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But one after another, they all began to make excuses. The first one said, I have bought a field and I need to go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I have married a wife, so I cannot come. The servant returned and reported all this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly and go to the streets and the alleys in the city and bring into the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant replied, What you ordered has been done. And there is still room. So the master told his servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, so that my house may be full. For I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will taste my banquet. Okay. See, we, we see in this situation that Jesus, God, God is inviting us to a banquet. And we're all invited. But the ones that he invited didn't get to go because they were concerned with all the things of this life. They're concerned with their, their land, their house, their job, their kids, their wife. So what I'm bringing this up for is I'm saying how much of our life is, is governed and being lorded by, by Christ or how much of our life is still being dictated by how we're going through this life. Are we, are we being, are we being um, having problems because of our work, or we, of our spouse? What, what, are, what are all these things that are deterring from what God has called us to? God has called us to walk in a manner that being born again, the old passing away, behold, all things are new. So if, if all things are passed away, then why are we still living as a, as a modified Christian, if it's the old has passed away, behold, all things are new, being born of the Spirit of God. But we still think that we're going to have struggles, problems, agitations, frustrations, and, and things of this life that should still be affecting us, then we think we're a modified creation. We're not a, we're not a born-again creation. We're, that's a modified creation. That modified creation is what, not what Christ looked like because we are born of the Spirit of God. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now in us. And so if we're born of the same spirit, then this, this old nature that we kind of think that this kind of going to be there is, should still kind of be there because, well, we're in this world. But Jesus is our example, and everyone perfectly trained will look just like him. So when we recognize the word and what this is doing, when we abide in his word, we're going to understand what this thing is saying, and it's going to be transforming us to be totally different creation, one separated. Hebrews 
for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's to discern our thoughts and intentions of what we're doing. Because the old nature that we've been raised in, that's what Nate brought up last week, baptism. See, without the baptism, there is no new life. Without the death of self, we aren't born again to something different. We're not partially dead. You know, he didn't baptize except for the head and then we come out. It's all dead. It's, it's everything. Without that death, there is no new life. But I think what, what happens a lot is we get hung up in living this life, and so then we start thinking that because we haven't truly died and given God lordship in every area and been diligent to do that, we think that our situations that we go through in life have a reason to have lordship governing our emotions and our feelings and our abilities and our responses because that part we think, well, that's just a bit much. That's, that's too hard to get rid of. But it's really, it's not. It's the word that's going to set us free in this that we won't be struggling in these ways. We're going to have freedom. See, the word is discerning it. It's to come here and cut it. It's living. It's active. It's sharp. It's to divide the spirit and soul and not leave room for our soul to be still intact. It should be removed completely. And that's what abiding in his word is going to do. The flesh cannot submit to God. How many, how many times, how many people, don't raise your hand, <laughs> how, many, how many people have pet peeves? Things that you know are going to create a problem in you. If this person does this, I, I'm irritated if they do that. How many people have that? Now, why does a Christian have a problem as a pet? It sounds kind of funny. Like, how many, how many little pets of problems do you have chained, running around with? And as long as nobody pokes your little pet, you're not going to have a problem. But that's not, that's not really the Christian life. I mean, could you imagine Jesus having that? I don't think Jesus had many, too many problems as pets. He was free from the problems of pets. And we need to be, too. And that's what this stuff is doing. That's what the word is, is to divide and cut and separate these things. This is freedom. Complete freedom in Christ. Not, not being bound still to, the, still to the natures of the way that this world functions. The sway of the wicked one. Not what we're supposed to be bound by. Scripture says they stumbled because of disobedience to the word. So when we're struggling, we're going through something, we're stumbling, we're having a hard time. The word says it's because you're disobedient to the word. We're disobedient to his word, and that's why we're having problems. That's why we're struggling. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow him. It's painful sometimes to do that. Why? Because denying of self doesn't feel good. Because you're denying yourself. It's a lot easier to have what you want to, to respond and have problems. Scripture tells us 
If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is weak, small. That, that's pretty strong. We're not even supposed to faint in anything. We're supposed to bear. It says love can bear all things. There's nothing, when we're seeing this thing right, we're not trying to do something out of willpower, and it's just like, eh, and we just can't quite take it. When we're seeing this right, it's going to change who we live, how we live, and see and live totally different to where no matter how much burden or whatever's coming upon you, you don't have the weight, and it's not going to crush you. Um, 2 Timothy 2.23 But reject foolish and ignorant speculation, for you know that it breeds quarreling. And a servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, and forbearing or patient. He must gently reprove those who oppose him, in hope that God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Grant repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. So, most everybody knows here, you know, my life wasn't always serving God. Uh, me and Kayla had a problems in our marriage. Um, I hurt her in a lot of ways, and she hurt me in a lot of ways. And I was, I was filled with bitterness. I was filled with hurt. I struggled when I'd see certain things. It would just, it would just overtake me and I would just react and have a hard time. If she was going out with her friends at, at times, I would be plagued with thoughts and just all these imaginations of what could be going on because of the past of what I've experienced and the hurt and what was going on. I was plagued and I was tormented by these things. It was probably demonic and it wasn't fun, but it owned me. And as I was coming out, I was searching, I was saying, I was searching this word, but I saw in God when something, I was still triggered. I had triggers. You can't, can't help it. You see something that triggers you and it makes you react. And I was asking God, I said, God, you know, help me to forgive her. Help me to forgive her. And he told me, he said, I never called you to be hurt by your wife. I called you to love her. And because I've been in this word, that had a place for it to land on me because I knew the scriptures of what we're called to. The goal of the instruction is love. You're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. So when he said that to me, that word, bam, it, it, it struck me. And, it, and I went, oh my goodness, I'm in disobedience to God. I've been wrapped up about how I felt. And in doing so, I've been disobedient to God regardless of what the situation is. He didn't call me to be hurt and offended by Kayla. He called me to love her. And so when that happened, I repented of I saw it, and I went, oh, God, forgive me. And from that moment, nothing ever touched me again with Kayla. I was never triggered all the memory and all the hardship that I struggled with was gone. It was removed from my life. And I want to show scripturally what happened and why that went that way. Because I was looking for 
from Kayla to be fixed. But as if anybody's been hurting here, for the most part, you usually can't, the person can't fix something in somebody else that's been damaged and hurt because, well, it's already happened. Well, how are you going to fix that? All you can do is kind of just nurse it and, and pet it. You're not going to make it go away. You're not going to fix it. It's just going to try to subside it. But then the problem is, is the next time Kayla does something, it's going to wound me again. Because if I'm going to be healed by her, I'm also going to be hurt by her. So the only thing that I should be healed by is God, because if I'm healed by God, then Kayla can't hurt me. No matter what, then I can love her regardless. Because now she's not the thing making me okay, God is. So when we have God making us okay, it changes things. So what... So I'm going to read Luke 7:47. Therefore I tell you, because her sins are forgiven, she loves much. But the one who has been forgiven little loves little. So what happens is, well, let me read this a little farther. Let me see. Okay, so what happens is, when we're forgiven, Jesus says, when, you're, when much is forgiven, you can love much. Forgiven, the literal word of forgiven means removed. It's to remove. Repentance means a change of mind. So when, when I, it says, it says in there, in Timothy, it talks about where he can grant repentance. God had granted me repentance to be able to see something differently. So when he showed that to me, it revealed something to where I could see something different. That was the granting of repentance. And then he forgave me, which removes the wicked intent of the heart. And when the wicked intent of the heart is removed, then I can love. And that's exactly what happened, is when that happened to me, all of a sudden I could love Kayla regardless of the circumstances of life, regardless of what I thought she might have been doing, regardless of any of that stuff. It no longer plagued me. The, the intent and the understanding of how I was living had been changed and said, get this out, get this view in. Boom. And it changed everything that I functioned by. But it was done through repentance, change of mind, change of understanding. He granted me repentance. Here's a different understanding. The word has been now made known to you. And in doing so, I said, forgive me, because I recognized I had sinned against God in me living out of myself towards my wife. And when he did, he removed, it says, because forgiveness is to remove. He removed that wickedness of my heart. And the scripture says, who's been forgiven much, loves much. And instead of being having a problem, I now have that wickedness removed and now I can love her. That is what this word does to us. It transforms us to live and see and think a completely different way. And not by our willpower, because my willpower had no ability to be okay in the situation. I'm pretty sure probably anybody that lives knows frustration, agitation, hurts. And you know when something happens, some, something, someone, your spouse, because that's usually who we're closest to all the time, might do something. It can create something of frustration. You're kind of like, oh, and you're just frustrated. You're irritated for a while. You're frustrated. You're kind of stuck in that thing. It's like glue. It's just kind of got you. You're trying to work out of it, but you're just irritated, right? I'm sure... Everybody knows that feeling? <laughs> yeah. So that's what this does. 
it transforms us so that we're not living out of that anymore. But it's not by our willpower. It's by the truth being revealed and known to our hearts so that when that happens, we see totally different and then we live to something different. Then it's by Him. It's not by what I've done. It's by what He's given me. Everything we have has been given to us. There's no super Christians. It's by faith. It's by the Word transforming us. It's by His grace. It's by His... His mercy. Nate's not going to be in heaven. We're going to be like, look at his cape flying by. Man, he's a super Christian. <laughs> it's not. We're believers. That's what it's going to be. And this word, what it's called to, all things old has passed away. Behold, all is new. But we can't live this if we're not dead to ourselves. If we're not denying ourselves, I'm never going to let go of the hurt because I have a right to it. I don't have a right to anything except be controlled by God. I don't have a right to any of myself. I don't have a right to anything. I don't have a right to be concerned and in fear to my children. I have a right to trust God. So in order to do so, I need to keep myself straight with Him and be living this way because when I'm living this way, man... It doesn't matter. I'm filled with love towards my wife. I have enough love for both of us. But then she can live the same way too. And when we're not being hit back and forth and experiencing the flesh against each other and struggling in it, and it's just part of it, making, making reasons of why it's okay to have problems, no, it's just the death of self and denying of ourselves. I was bitter towards Kayla. Bitterness is basically coming from a person that's broken, that wants to be healed. I looked to Kayla, I wanted to be healed by her, but I was bitter because she couldn't. She couldn't heal me. Our trust was broken between each other, so no matter what she said, even if it was true at the time, it couldn't help because it had been so broken up, it didn't matter but I still didn't know how to do anything except for look to her because that's where it came from. Because of our relationship being connected together, that's where our pains came from. And so if she's looking to me to be healed or I'm looking to her to be healed, then I'm going to be having problems as long as I'm in this life looking at her for something that should only come from God because only God can heal that. Only God can transform that place, that bitterness. If I'm healed by her, I'm also going to be affected by her. And I'm not going to give... Jesus is called Lord and we call Him Lord. But is He Lord when a situation comes up and hits us? Or is that thing and the situation Lord of my life because it's governing my emotions, my thoughts, my feelings, everything else? I believe that's some of what this stuff looks like when we read the parable about Him going, I've called you guys but you didn't come. You were too busy with other things. Because our life is, gets us wrapped up in stuff. We get wrapped up in our job and our work and our spouse and our kids and everything. We get wrapped up in this stuff so much that he's called us to something wonderful. Being born again of the Spirit of God. Looking just like Christ. Perfectly trained will look just like him. Something that looks like that, but we haven't denied ourselves in our life. We're still saying... But 
this over here is still yelling at me and pulling on me, and I've still got to respond to these things instead of putting it all off. But if our life is too valuable and these things are going on, we're going to have a hard time putting that off. We're going to have a hard time denying our life and saying, my one objective, God, is to be you be my Lord in every circumstance, in every way, in everything of my life. And that's what bowing down, that's what baptism is, that's what going all the way in for God is. And in doing so, he sets us free in such a way that we can live a totally different, totally different situation in freedom. Because he came to set the captives free. That's why we need to abide in the word and be a doer of the word. Because if we're not a doer of the word, we're just deceiving ourselves. when his word becomes alive in our heart, then we will know the truth. And when we know the truth, it sets us free. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What is the house that you will build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. There's a lot of clauses in the scripture. There's a lot of ifs and if then in the scripture. And, and when we when we don't take Christianity as a uh, entitled Christianity, because I believe in Jesus, so I'm entitled to all the benefits and all the goodies and all these types of things. And when we look at the scripture, he says things like, "But this is the one whom I will look. Who, he who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word." This is the one he looks upon. See, when we're in, in this word, we'll recognize and understand there's a lot of clauses to this thing. In the Old Testament, he told, I think it's Eli, he said that you will always have someone in, my house, in, in the house of the Lord. And he goes, I know I told you before that you would always have somebody in the house, but now I tell you whoever honors me, I will honor him, but whoever dishonors me, I will despise sounds like God made, he made a promise to Eli, and then he said, you know what? I didn't make it under these conditions. These conditions aren't what I'm going to make that promise to. The conditions are you honor me, and I will honor you. We're not entitled to, to, to Christianity. We're, God is not a genie in the bottle. He's not here to give us the best parking spot to make the light green when we're driving by to give us our way. God will be kind to us and merciful. He is to everybody. But that's not our purpose. That's not our point is to get from God what we want. Our purpose is to be transformed because he sent his son. He was up there. You think about this. It's not just because we're sinners and he's just covering us and, oh, man, let's cover those little sinners down there. He didn't say, 
if he's up in heaven, and God is going, who are we gonna, what are we going to do? These guys have, have messed things up. They've lost their righteousness. And Jesus goes, I'll go down. I'll redeem them. The best heaven's got says, I'll redeem them. I'll go down. So he takes off his robe of divinity and he sets it on his throne and he comes down, hops in the womb of a woman, comes out born of a woman as a man to redeem us, living this thing out as a man. He didn't redeem us because to try to cover up our dirty sin. That was part of it. He, he cleansed us. He redeemed us because we're the inheritance of God. And inheritance is valuable. We're the inheritance of God. We're the value of God. And so he came down here because of the value that we have. He didn't pay the best thing he had in heaven, his only son, for something that wasn't valuable. To just cover something up, he did it because he knows what we are when he lives in us. When he's living in us, we're called the sons of God. A new creation born of the Spirit, or water and Spirit, baptism and Spirit. It's not a mix. There's no place to leave the old nature still having issues and attitudes and pet peeves and all these things. It says that we're to be one with Jesus as Jesus was one with the Father, and we're to be one. We're to come and make our home. Jesus and God aren't sitting up on the throne bickering back and forth between each other. They're not having spats and arguments. They're one. They're love. They're patient. They're kind. They can bear all things. They're not self-seeking. See, if you look at that, let's look at love and understand that anything that we're responding that's not in love needs to be addressed and getting out. Seek God. Look for repentance. Let him change your heart. Remove the wicked intent of your heart so that you can see something different and now live to something different. Because we live by faith. Faith comes by the hearing of the word. This thing is awesome. God loves us. He's redeemed us from that fallen nature and completely made something new. Born of the Spirit of God. And it's not by us trying to do something. It's by us being renewed by His Word so that we live to something different. Kayla's not going to get on my nerves. She can't do anything to it. Not because of anything awesome I did. It's because of what He's revealed to me so that I can live a different way. It's something that we receive. And that's all this is, is this renewing of the mind, putting off the old, putting on the new. And then staying there daily, picking up the cross, denying itself. Because the way that that's going to happen, if Kayla's going to start if I'm going to have problems with Kayla, is not because I didn't understand, it's because now I'm not laying down my life. I'm not denying myself. I'm not letting Christ be Lord of my life. It's a decision, you have to lay it down. That's what baptism is. It's the death itself. It's part of it. Baptism without the response. Baptism without it changing you is worthless. The act of baptism does not change you. It's the result of baptism that changes you. That's 
we think the act of baptism saves you, it's just religion. It's the result of baptism that saves you. That's why we must be careful. He tells Titus or Timothy, he says, be careful of your doctrine and your life because in so doing you will save those, you'll save yourself and those who hear you. So we're saved by understanding this thing, our life and our doctrine, understanding what's going on. That's why it's so important to have this thing clear and, and understood. So I think bottom line is we're abiding in his word. He means remain and stay in his word. And then that, that word will come into our heart and will be known to us. It will be known intimately. And when that word becomes intimately known into us, we will be free. And it's not something that we are doing. It's not by willpower. It's not by anything other than God revealing himself in us. And then we can live. We're not gritting our teeth. We're not frustrated. We're putting off the old, denying himself, putting on the new. That's the good news. Before we couldn't do it, the law was perfect, but it was weak through the flesh. But now he came and he gave us the spirit to now do it. And it, by the spirit, we will fulfill the righteous requirements of all. Okay. That's all I got, guys. Let me pray. <laughs> Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for making the way and the gift. Thank you for loving us so much that you do. Redeeming us from the, from the things that are misery in our lives. Father, I ask that everybody here, that it may be planted in their heart. I ask that they may see the truth that sets them free. I ask for their heart to be tender, to be responsive to you. I ask that we don't make excuses anymore of this life to live in anything other than what you've paid for and what you've done. I ask that you be with us through this all the time. Let us recognize where you're working on us. Help us to give our lives and lives and lay it down. I thank you in Jesus' name, amen.